Welcome to Word Today. I am your host, Levi Johnny Griffin. And listen, I have spent hundreds, if not thousands, if not tens of thousands of hours listening to, scrutinizing, and analyzing the Word of God. And after all of that study, this is what I have discovered. You. When I say you, I mean you listening right now to this podcast today. You are stronger than you think, smarter than you know, forgiven beyond measure, and more loved than you could ever imagine by a God that's been emptied of fury and filled with grace due to what Jesus did on the cross. Today, we're going to talk about the blood price, the dowry. The, the blood money God paid for your soul, for your life, for your hand in marriage, the blood that connects us to the universe, that offers us grace, that assures us a place in heaven, the blood that is unshakable, unbreakable, and unmistakable when we get back. All right, so we're going to start off with several scriptures. The first two scriptures um, really won't seem like they have anything to do with um, Blood Money, the podcast as a whole, but stick with me. By the end, it will make total sense, and you'll go, wow, that was great. At least that's the uh, that's what I'm hoping for. Hopefully you go, uh, you don't go, man, that's, that's what we were waiting for, you know? I mean, it's possible, but hopefully you go, man, this was really, really good. This was worth the cost of admission, um, which in this case is just your time to listen to it. Um, if you would like to donate money, I'm setting up a Patreon, but I've been setting up a Patreon for about a year now and never have gotten around to it. Apparently, uh, I don't need money or I'm just too lazy to set up the Patreon. One of the two, um, but it's blood money. Let's go. Revelations 21. Verse 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. Verse 8. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Ooh, that scares me. 
when I read it. That makes me shake. That makes me, that shakes or I won't say scares me, but it does something. It, it catches my attention. It makes me, uh, want to understand deeper. This scripture is one that I've wrestled with for years or that I had wrestled with for years. He talks about, uh, heaven. He talks about those that long for him, though to all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life, right? Be part of verse six. But eight starts off, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, murderers, the immortal, those who practice witchcraft, idol worship, and all liars, their fate is the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. But cowards, I don't get cowards, but I definitely get unbelievers. Or we're not, we, I didn't get cowards. That's what kind of shook me up about it because I, I got unbelievers. If you don't believe in God, the Bible says to get uh, next to God, to, to get close to God, to get the favor of God, to get the anointing of God, to get the, the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, you first have to believe in the God. You don't go to a grocery store to buy things that you don't believe exist. Someone says, hey man, there's a Walmart two miles that way. And you go, no, I don't believe there's a Walmart that way. I'm not going. You'll never get there. You'll never get the stuff that you're looking for. So I get it. Unbelievers don't go because they don't go to get the free stuff. The corrupt. Okay, I get it. The next line is the unbelievers. The corrupt. I get it. The, they're corrupt. They're evil. They're politicians who let mothers go hungry to line their own pockets. I get the corrupts don't go to heaven. They're going to hell, which is the second death. Murderers. I get it. You go around murdering people. There's countries where they make children uh, what do they call them? Child warriors or child soldiers. You're murdering people. You're making other people murder people. I get it. You go to hell. You yours is the second death. The immoral. You're just doing immoral stuff. Oh, I get it. You're going to hell. Yours is the second death. Those who practice witchcraft, basically, uh, and it says idol worshipers and 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 all liars. You practicing witchcraft. You're you're practicing the dark arts. You're worshiping Satan and Satan and have one of those books of Satan. No, I get it. You're 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 going to hell. Yours is the second death. Idol worshipers. I get it. All liars. If you're a liar, that's what you do. That's who you are. I get it. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. That is the second death. But what troubled me is the very first thing. You have to always pay attention to the very first thing the Lord says. The very first offense here. The 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 main uh, line of the opening offense. The opening line here is but coward. Now, coming off of I will be their God and they will be my children, you feel all fuzzy. And then the very next line is, but cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. But cowards. And this is what shook me because I'm like, man, cowards. Everybody gets afraid sometimes, right? Everybody's been afraid every now and again of something. Why are cowards going there? You got Charles Manson or murder. I don't want to say he's going to hell. I'm not uh, his God. And I don't make that judgment call. But you have murderers. You have immoral people, witchcraft, idol worshipers, liars. says all liars, corrupt, unbelievers going. But you start off with cowards. So you have murderers, axe murderers, murderers, serial killers, witches, idol worshipers, immoral people sitting next to like a guy that got scared on a roller coaster. <laughs> you know, I didn't get it. 
But one day God sent me a revelation and I got it. And I got it in a major way. And we're going to talk about that. Romans 1, our next scripture, verse 13. I want you to know, dear brother and sisters, that I planned many times to visit you, but I was prevented until now. I want to work among you and see spiritual fruit just as I have seen among other Gentiles. For I have for I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and uneducated alike. So I am eager to come to you in Rome to to preach the good news. For I am not ashamed, verse 16, of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. I like the translation, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here it says, for I'm not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. That's beautiful. Powerful. Powerful as well. So blood money, the bride price. There's three things you need to know. Let's dig in. We're digging in right now. Go ahead. Take a deep bite. Right. So the three things that you need to know about the bride price, things that you need to know if you were living in biblical times, ancient times, thousands of years ago, uh, and you wanted to take a bride. The first thing you had to do was choose a bride. Kind of makes sense. You can't marry someone you hadn't found. All right. Second thing, you had to pay a dowry in countries today. You still pay diaries. Uh, and what is that? That is money, clothing, uh, whatever. Normally it's animals that you give to the family. When you decide to marry their daughter, it's kind of like, hey, I want to take the daughter out of the family. So I'm going to give you I'm going to slaughter these goats, cows and give you these chickens uh, and this money as exchange for you allowing me to marry your daughter. So that was the biblical marriage. You chose a bride. You paid the dowry, married her. And the third thing was you created heirs. You created areas. Heirs had uh, multiple functions. Uh, your children would. Be the ones that would take the burden of the family name, the family flock, the family riches when you pass on. Similar to today, you die. If someone has money and they're wealthy, when they die, their home, their land, their finances go into the children. If there's a business, the children often take over the business. Think Walmart and the Waltons. But let's dig into the first thing, choosing a bride. Proverbs 18.22 says this. The man who finds a treasure. No, no, no. That's not what it says. It says the man who. Who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. The man who finds a wife finds a treasure and he receives favor from the Lord. So, you know, you're blessed for just finding a wife. You you choose to marry her. There's a million hers out there, but you chose that her. Right. And God blesses you for it. Isaiah 62 says this, starting at one, because I love Zion, I will, not, I will not keep still because my heart yearns for Jerusalem. I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. Ah, passionate. The nations will see your righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by your glory and you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will Hold you in his hand for all to see a splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city 
or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. For the Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. Remember, the first thing you have to do is find a wife. So let's talk about God. What is the first thing God has to do in a biblical marriage? Same thing. Find a wife. And what did God do when he when God said, I'm going to get married? God found a wife. And who was that wife? It was us. And and think about the God, the word the Lord used. The Lord would hold you in his hand. That's love. That's that's passionate. The Lord delights in you. The Lord will call you the city of his delight. Never again will you be called the forsaken. Never again will you be called a forsaken city. Never again will you be called the sinner, the lost, uh, the the unnamed, the unmentioned, the the one in the back. No, no, no. You won't be called the desolate land, the broke, the poor, uh, the uninhabited. No, that's not you. You're going to be called God's delight. So when God chose us, He says, "Hey, hey, I don't care about what they used to call you. I don't care who used to forsake you. I don't care how barren you used to be." Now you are my delight, the bride of God, and I delight in you. First thing man has to do to get married is choose his wife. And the Lord looked around and says, you know what? That go my boo right there. That's my boo right there. I see her. There you go, girl. That's um, look. That's they look at that. That's the Lord's delight right there. I delight in you. And it's funny, but it's true. God delights in us. He loves us. Jacked up flaws, crazy. He loves us in the state we're in. And he loves us enough to love us in this state and to help us lead us out of it. Because a good husband will lead you out of crazy. If you're about to get married and you're a woman, you say, man, what should my husband do? You should first acknowledge that you're good and crazy. You are. All of us are. But a good husband will lead you out of your crazy. Good husband will love you while you're crazy, but he's going to fight even you to pull you up to another level because there's some you might be uh, 100 percent crazy. You might be 80 percent crazy. Everybody's at least 50 percent crazy. So if you don't think you are, then you're crazier than you think you You're probably at the 70, 80 percent at least uh, if you don't think you're at least half crazy. Uh, but a good husband will love you at where you are. Show you you're crazy. And then pull you up out of it. He will lead you up out of it. And God does that. He says, you know what? I've chosen my boo. I've chosen. These are going to be my people. The people that believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Those are going to be my people. And I'm going to love them. They're going to be. They're no longer going to be called forsaken or desolate. They're going to be called my delight. And I'm going to lead them to a better place. So God chose us as his bride. But what happens when you have a bride? You have to do what? When you choose a bride, you have to do what? Pay the diary. You have to pay. Uh, and, and diaries are normally costly. They're normally bloody. And they're often a significant sacrifice. The more more important your bride is, the more costly, the more significant your sacrifice. Let's go to Exodus four. Verse twenty five. But Moses's wife, Zipporah, took a flint knife and circumcised her son. She touched his feet 
talking about Moses, with the foreskin and said, now you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Holy, what? What? So let me get this straight. Moses, and the backstory is basically Moses was in hot water with God. So his wife circumcised their son, took the bloody floor, foreskin and touched it to Moses and says, hey, you are now a bridegroom of blood to me. Does that sound crazy to you? Yeah, yeah, it sounds kind of crazy uh, in general until you realize the culture. I always talk about everything in context. Never do or say or try to get anything out of context. If I say I love to watch the sun rise, it burns like fire. And if you take that out of context and says, hey, uh, Johnny fell down and said it burned like fire. That's out of context. Not even close to what I meant. You're taking what I've said. You're twisting it in a demonic way. Um and you'll have to answer for it if you're you're doing it in with malintent, right? So no, everything in context. And the context of this is God is mad at Moses, his wife, knowing that God and Isaiah, right? We just read it has chosen Moses, the people of Israel, and all that will believe will be called the descendants of Abraham as his wife. And the wife, as a wife, wives have rights. So Zipporah is reminding God through the blood covenant that, hey, you might be mad at Moses, but there's your wife. That's your wife. You can't kill Moses because you'd be killing your wife. And you've taught us to honor our wives. You can't uh, destroy Moses because you'd be destroying your wife. And you've taught us to honor our wives. You told us that love was patient. Love was kind. Right. We, we see that in First Corinthians and our uh, in domestic violence. Um, love in the wrong direction. We really dive deep into love and what it is and what it is, isn't. And, and so he's taught the Israelites. Now, first Corinthians, yes, is the new Testament, but he's been since uh, the old Testament, since the Israelites had a Bible before they had a Bible, he was teaching them about love. And Zipporah here is reminding God that Moses is your wife. We're all your wives and you're, you're bound to love us and be patient with us. David does something similar with foreskin. Sounds nasty until you understand the blood price. First Samuel 18, verse 23. When Saul's men said these things to David, he replied, how can a poor man from a humble family afford the bride price for the daughter of a king? When Saul's men reported this back to the king, he told them, tell David that all I want for the bride price, the dowry, is 100 Philistine foreskins vengeance on my enemies is all i really want so the context of this is simple david is a commoner wanting to marry the king's son king's daughter uh and really the king's daughter really ain't the king or commoners they're first generation royalty the the people just kind of chose them so they're not really all high and mighty really but they um uh David honors them as if they were. And Saul really kind of walks on airs as if he was. Um, so uh, Saul would like David to marry his daughter. But David is saying, hey, how would I afford the dowry of a king's daughter? I, I don't have that many sheep, oxen, money. I don't I couldn't afford to. I can't afford to marry her because I can't give the family a proper dowry. And what does Saul say? He says, listen. Just bring me a hundred Philistine foreskins. Bring me 
the blood and I will take the blood of my enemy as the diary. And we see this blood as a diary over and over and over. First Kings nine fifteen. This is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, the royal palace, the supporting terraces, the wall of Jerusalem and the cities of Hazar, Megiddo and Gezer and Megiddo. Uh, just a foreskin uh, foreskin talking about foreskin so much <laughs> a foreshadowing. Uh, I don't know what's going on. Foreskins, marrying sons. I don't know. Excuse me. Uh, Megiddo, a foreshadowing uh, of revelations because Armageddon uh, comes from Megiddo, the end of Megiddo, Megiddo. So anyway, the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt had attacked and captured Gezer, killing the Canaanite population and burning it down. He gave the city to his daughter as a wedding gift when she married Solomon. So this isn't like a reverse diary, but he wanted to give a gift. Uh, so what did he do? He destroyed and killed an entire city and gave it to Solomon, a blood price, because Solomon was a great ruler. So instead of trying to honor the family, he's trying to daddy's trying to honor the king since daughter's marrying the king. Right. Um, once again, a blood price. So when people got married, they chose the bride and the marriage. Normally there was a dowry or a blood price was goats, oxen that was given um, to honor the family uh, and to honor, in this case, the king. So the blood price is common. Now, the blood price can often be misused and can be misguided. In this case, you see the Pharaoh killing uh, tons of innocent people. That's misguided. You see people killing other people, very misguided. And since a diary is what? It's costly, it's bloody, and it's significant. You see in other religions, forbidden in uh, Judaic religion, uh, in Christianity, but in other religions uh, back in the day at that time, you would see them even killing their own kids. Because what would be more bloody, more costly and more significant than murdering your own baby, throwing it in fire, cutting it uh, and killing it? And the people just figured, hey, if the gods are mad at me and angry at me and they want a blood price, they want something that is significant, something that is costly, something that is bloody. What could be more costly, bloody and significant than my own kid? And the and the Israelites, the Judah, the Jews were around this crazy nonsense. So God had to be specific and say, hey, you will never pay a blood price to me in human life or in some your child's life. That is disgusting. And I, I shun that. And God would often have the Israelites go destroy those people like this is crazy. This is insanity. So, yeah, you can be misguided in your love. You ever seen someone obsessed with someone and they love them and they're doing crazy, ridiculous, leaving home, uh, doing drugs. With, they're just doing ridiculous, fanatical things it's because they've taken their love to a, a negative uh, idol worship place. But the blood price was common when you got married, you chose a wife and then you play, you paid the blood price. And God was no different. In Isaiah, we see him choose a wife. So now in Ephesians, we're going to see him pay the blood price. Ephesians 2, 11. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcisions, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ, 
you were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, verse 13, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ Jesus. So God selects a bride and Isaiah, and then he paid the blood price. What was the blood price? The blood of, of Christ Jesus. The word made flesh. What is John saying? The beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And we go down to verse, I think, 14. It says the word became flesh. God became a man and shed his own blood. God didn't sacrifice goats. He didn't sacrifice uh, oxen. He didn't sacrifice people. He sacrificed himself. And he continues to do that every single day for us. He sacrificed his integrity to cover us. He sacrificed his love to cover us. He, He sacrificed his honor to honor us. He chose a bride and it was us. And he paid the blood price and his own blood to cover us. And he does that because he's a good husband. Even if we're not a good wife, he's a great husband. And he pays and constantly pays and still pays to love us and to cover us. But as a good wife, he's a great husband. But as a good wife, what do we do? How can we um, be a, a good wife in this partnership? Well, we have to know what a good wife does. The good wife does two things, really brings honor or do a few things. One is bring honor. One is nurture. And the third is bears children. We see all of this in Proverbs 31. Who can find a virtuous and capable woman? She is more precious than rubies. Her husband can trust her and she will greatly enrich his life. She brings him good, not harm all the days of her life. Skipping the 19, her hands are busy spinning thread, her fingers twisting fibers. Basically, she works hard. She extends a helping hand to the poor and opens her arms to the needy. She has no fear of winter for her household, for everyone has warm clothes. 25, she is clothed with strength and dignity, and she laughs without fear of the future. When she speaks, her words are wise, and she gives instructions with kindness. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. Her children can stand and bless her. Her husband praises her. There are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. How can we be good? It says she clothed with strength and dignity. We can be strong and walk in dignity. It says she lasts without fear of the future. Why? Because she's prepared. She's prepared. She, hey, I don't have to worry about tomorrow. my, My kids are taken care of. We're straight. Says her children stand and bless her, which means her children honor her because of her preparedness. It says there are many virtuous and capable women in the world, but you surpass them all. There are many religions and many people that worship other false gods. But Christians, we are supposed to worship and love our God and follow him in such a way that it brings honor to our husband, to our God. But 28 also says her children stand. And bless her. What does that mean? That means a good wife bears children. Good wife bears children. That's the third point here. Why children? Children in biblical days, they provided for the flocks. They provided the labor for the flocks. They provided a lineage. Basically, like we discussed, when you die, you have someone that took over the family business. And they, they children kept a, a wife from disgrace. If you are unable to produce children, you were considered a disgrace. 
1 Samuel 1. There was a man named Elkanah who lived in Ramah in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. He was the son of Jerom, son of Elahu, son of Tahu, son of Zuf of Ephraim. Elkanah had two wives, Hannah and Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah did not. Each year, Elkanah would travel to Shiloh to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of Heaven's armies at the tabernacle. The priests of the Lord at the time were the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. On the days of Elkanah presented his sacrifice, he would give portions of meat to Penna and each of her children. And though he loved Hannah, he would give her only one choice portion because the Lord had given her no children. So Penna or Penina would taunt Hannah and make fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. Year after year, it was the same. Penina would taunt Hannah as they went to the tabernacle. Each time, Hannah would be reduced to tears and would not even eat. Once after eat, at, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly, and she prayed to the Lord, and she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime and as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord. His hair will never be cut. Basically, he will be a Nazarene. And what happens? God honors her. He removes her disgrace and gives her children. Genesis thirty twenty two. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. So same thing here. Verse 23, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said, and she named him Joseph. So same thing with Hannah uh, in first Samuel had the same thing in Genesis. When you have children, it removes your disgrace as a bride. So the question is, as the bride of God, as his delight, as his bride, how do we bear him children? And that's easy. We evangelize. Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some of them doubted. 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples. I mean, birth new believers of all nations. Baptizing. What is baptism? It's a marriage ceremony baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, marrying them to basically the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's saying be sure of this. This needs to happen. Go evangelizing, evangelizing, baptize, which is marry them to me. Make new new disciples. Bear me children is what he's saying. Bear me Children. Bear me children, which makes this makes that this makes uh, for two types of brides. So there's two types of brides. So God has chosen a bride. He has paid the blood price, the dowry. Right. And now as a bride, we honor him. We should we have to have dignity and strength. And one of the most crucial things is to give him children, which makes them makes two types of brides. Those that are afraid to mention Christ. And bear him children will be the first. Revelations 21 now makes sense. But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt, 
murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars. Their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I understand now. God is saying, I, I picked you out. I paid the bride price in my blood, your dowry, and all I ask is for you to honor me by loving me and giving me children. But you are a coward. So there's people that would that would rather be hated by God and loved by friends. What do you mean? They're scared of being ostracized so they don't live holy. They, they don't want to be excluded, so they don't want to live. Uh, they don't want to tell people they don't drink or they don't party. They don't sex because they don't want to be excluded. They don't want to be ridiculed, made fun of. So they don't speak about their church functions. Oh, you're the little church uh, mouse. You, they don't want they don't want to be ridiculed. So they don't speak about church. They don't want to be turned against. So they don't live out works. You'll never catch them loving someone that everyone around the office hates. You'll never see them supporting someone that everyone else has kind of turned against. They don't want to not be appreciated, so they don't talk about their faith. They don't want to be persecuted, so they don't speak about Jesus. They are terrified, and some may even call them cowardly. The first type of bride is cowardly, and I understand why the cowardly don't get to heaven, and they're put in the same category first mentioned before unbelievers, the corrupt murderers, the immoral, and witchcraft, idol worshipers, and liars, because I chose you. I, I died on a cross for you. I paid the ultimate price for you. When a soldier dies, they say he paid the ultimate price. I paid the ultimate price to you. And all I ask you to do is love me and give me children. And you can produce children. Your womb is fertile, but you have decided to not produce children. You are a coward. And the cowards, along with the unbelievers, the corrupt, the murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, and all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. I died to save you, but you wouldn't die. You wouldn't risk being ostracized, ridiculed, turned against, unappreciated, persecuted for me. So you never bared me children. You never evangelized. You never lived out holiness. You never told people to come and be saved by me so that they could marry me and that they could be saved from the fire. So for every soul that you refuse to talk to about me that will burn in the fire, you will burn next to them because you allowed them to die so that you could be popular. That's the first type of wife. And the second type of wife is the Romans one wife. For I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The second type of wife is not afraid of being ostracized, so they live holy. She is not afraid of being ridiculed. So they speak about church and church functions and invite people to church. And, and they're, they're not afraid about being turned against. So listen, you don't have to come to my church. I can talk to you about Jesus right now in a break room right here at the desk, right next to your cubicle. She's not afraid of being unappreciated. So she talked to people about faith and what faith has done for her. She tells people her testimony. Matter of fact, Revelation 12, 11 says you're saved by the blood of the lamb, which is your dowry, the blood price and by the word of your testimony, being able to evangelize. So if you're not evangelizing, it doesn't matter how many times Jesus died on the cross, you still won't make it in because you're saved by the blood, the dowry and the evangelism being a good wife. She's not afraid of being persecuted. So she tells people about Jesus. A good wife is not terrified. Some may even call her bold in Christ. Listen, 
I really appreciate you checking out today's podcast. Make sure to find me on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Levi Johnny Griffin. Hit me up on Twitter at Levi underscore Griffin. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Apple podcast platforms, Google podcast platforms and Stitcher. Also, place a link to this podcast in your social media feed and tag me in it, Levi Johnny Griffin, for a chance to co-host a show with me. Hey, I want to leave you with this. Four evidences of Christian faith. One is belief. We believe in what Jesus did on the cross. It's what covers us and gives us access to the glory of God. B, lifestyle. It just means we live like we believe it. Jesus tells us to live right, we live right. C, we evangelize. What does that mean? We teach other people about Jesus so they can have faith. Indeed, we spread the lifestyle. We teach them how to live like they have faith. How do we do that? We connect them to a church and we connect them to plenty of Christian material. Bibles, Christian books, Christian movies like The Passion, and even Christian podcasts like Word Today. Share it with your friends. If it's blessing you and you're eating and growing from it, let someone else eat and grow from it as well. I love each and every one of you. Let's keep praying and keep pushing in the faith together.